Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today we are looking at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. So let's go ahead and get started uh, by reading through our section of verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Uh, this is the most difficult ethical charge Paul delivers in, um, in this letter to the Romans, at least in, in my perception. Um, and I think some commentators would agree with me. And this is based on a, a use of rhetoric that um, was popularized by Aristotle in his book, Rhetoric. Um, Witherington points out in his commentary, though, that Paul has, he's going to move from more elementary concepts to more difficult concepts. So maybe you can see that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, that he moves from, again, more elementary type theological issues, like the first three chapters, sin. He's uh, definitely writing to a group of Christians who believe in sin, who understand sin, who understand they've done wrong. Even people who are not Christians understand they've done wrong. He moves from the really basic thing to the really difficult thing, chapters 9 through 11, talking about uh, what's happening to Israel now. And he's doing the same thing in his ethical portion of the book of Romans as well. It's begun in chapter 12 and moves through really to the mid to end of, of chapter 15. And so he started with the easy uh, the easy theological thing, if you start in those first two verses of chapter 12, it's, all right, you have to be transformed now. You're supposed to be someone different. And then he goes on to talk about love, and everything is really built on this foundation of love, which is maybe not the easiest, but it is definitely the foundational aspect to our ethics as Christians. What he's moved here to now in uh, chapter 14, though, is the more difficult uh, ethical issue. And he has saved it for last, uh, like a good rhetorician would, would do, what you'd expect of someone who uh, knows how to, how to speak to people and who knows how to carry an argument. So he's done this, and 
and, and really, I guess the fundamental issue is what he's having to deal with here in chapter 14 is is understanding the concepts that builds a community and what does harm to a community. How do you take people from totally different walks of life, put them under the same cause, and, and make it work, uh, build it to where it's not going to die out in a couple of months? How do you bring people together of different walks of life, different nationalities, uh, different um, you know viewpoints on ethics, and and bring them all under the same umbrella and, and have them actually live well to one another? If you're married, you know that this is something you have to do. Maybe you don't even have to be married. Maybe it's uh, simply uh, learning how to live well with your parents in the same household. What are things that you need to do? What are things that they're going to have to do? Um, this is maybe kind of a similar application to what Paul's having to do here. How do you have two groups of people? So right now he's having to speak to Gentile Christians who in this section are going to be those who are strong in faith and Jewish Christians who are those who that, um, that are weak in the faith. Uh, how do you get those two people to come together and build a community? And so it's for the purpose, this whole section here is the purpose of reaching unity. And if that is not the most, um, you know, culturally appropriate topic to be talking about right now in our current um, political culture, um, then I don't know what is. But that's something that we we need to learn. I think this is something that us as Christians really need to pay attention to, and determine in what what areas maybe am I weak in, and what other areas may I be strong in. Uh, and we'll dive into that a little bit here in this uh, this short podcast. So this section, again, is primarily to Gentile majority, uh, the Gentile Christian majority who is at this church in Rome, right, because there's an expulsion of Jews um, five to ten years earlier, depending on how you date uh, the book of Romans being written. So you have this Gentile minority and Jewish Christians now starting to filter back in. They're starting to come back into the community. And so what does he open up this chapter 14 with is, um, or, or the, the yeah, verse 1 of chapter 14 is, uh, for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. Hey, they're coming back to you. Welcome them. They may have these ideas and set beliefs on um, certain holy days and dietary restrictions. Um, don't quarrel about it. Don't bring them in simply for the purpose of having this argument of why they shouldn't believe that, of why they don't need to hold to those things because that's not actually in this new covenant anymore. Allow them to live that way. Don't don't gentilize them is maybe a way of looking at it. Um, there's a fear of Judaizers maybe in the book of Galatians, but here this is the opposite issue. It's Gentiles possibly trying to get Jews to live the way that they live. But Paul is saying these are not uh, essential matters to be arguing about, so don't do it. Don't argue about it. Live peacefully. So let's let's go verse by verse really quick. Uh, I know we're already halfway through this thing and I haven't even gotten any real verses yet, but let's go. So verse 1, we have this term, weak in faith, and more than likely this this means uh, someone who believes there is a law concerning something when in reality there is none. That's what we can maybe get by context. The fact that it only mentions holy days and mentions um, dietary restrictions. You know, it, it didn't mention um, the deity of Christ. 
you know, it's not that someone can't believe in the deity of Christ and we should accept them as believers and allow them to think that, believe that way. No, that's that's not what's being said here. It's it's these matters that are not actually ex- explicitly laid out in the new covenant. So it's people who believe that there is a law concerning something when there really is none, and it's more of this law concerning conscience. A Jew was was raised to believe that they are only supposed to eat particular meats, and this reference to uh, vegetarians um, here in verse two uh, probably really does mean that. As most Jews coming into Rome were probably going to have to live and eat as vegetarians, because if meat was not um, uh, if an animal was not killed in the right way, that meat would have not been kosher, and uh, the meat markets in Rome were uh, undoubtedly not kosher. So Jews had very limited means of obtaining meat. So if you're out in public as a Jew, you just live as a vegetarian. So that's uh, what Paul is speaking about here in verse 2. So that's what this person who's uh, weak in the faith is. It's this person who believes there are certain rules. I grew up this way. I'm only supposed to eat certain things. Uh, Still allow that person to come in and worship with you and and eat at your table and and don't provoke them. Don't... uh, you know, make fun of the way that they're living or the way that they uh, believe is right. If they're living uh, in accordance with their conscience, as a you know, as their conscience is you know subjugated to God's law, that, that is, uh, allow them to do that. So we should be accepting of people with different viewpoints, without using our welcoming attitudes as a guise to lecture them. Is maybe a point that Paul's trying to bring out here. In uh, verse three. Um, there is a natural reaction when you are being looked down on. Uh, Your natural reaction is to then judge that person as doing some evil or point out some other other aspect in their life as to why uh, um, they're not as high and mighty as they they think they are. So that's Paul's maybe word to the Jews here. Okay, maybe the Gentiles are looking down on you because you believe in things that are not actually written in this new covenant— but that doesn't then give you the um, reasoning or the evidence to then judge them, to pass judgment on them. Both of these attitudes of uh, despising someone or judging someone are attitudes that are not to belong to Christians on the basis of, here in verse 3, that God has welcomed them. God has welcomed all of these people into his church, into his body, and we are into no way uh, despise or judge them. Verse 4 goes on to make this uh, metaphor as a continuation of the argument of master and slave relation, that if Christ is all of our masters, then we are all the slaves. Therefore, none of us have the moral high ground. I cannot come to someone and say, you shouldn't live this way, you shouldn't hold to these laws if they're not written in Scripture. That's not the way I approach the, the issue. I approach it on the issue of, okay, that person is a slave of Christ also. I'll allow them to work out that relationship. Verse 5 is, again, continuation, but I think it's uh, it, it sums it up very nicely. One person esteems one better than the other, uh, one day better than the other, while uh, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's where this matter of conscience comes in. Uh, there's a really good quote by John Wesley, uh, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, one thinks and lets think in all things, charity and love. 
There are some things that are not essential to Scripture, some things that Scripture does not hit on because it is not a matter of salvation. When it comes to those matters, we are to determine, okay, are you a, uh, strong in the faith or weak in the faith? Whichever one, it's okay. God welcomes you both. But there are certain attitudes you should not have towards other people who think differently on these matters. Verses 6 through six through 8 is... Um, the argument that bolsters what he has just said in verse 5. So while we all have our convictions, I'm kind of summarizing verses 6 through 8 right now, kind of in my own words. While we all have our own convictions, they are based in God's truth and never held because of our own desires. I hope that's clear. They're based in God's truth and never because of our own desires. I am not going to hold to a particular way of worship. I am not going to hold to a particular ethic because it's something I like because it's something that makes me comfortable, because it's something I draw joy from. It's something that I truly believe has been grounded in God's revealed truth. And that is why I abide by it, for no other reason than that. So we we do not live to ourselves. We don't pick up habits and we don't make church into what we want it to be. We make church how we truly believe in God's word he has ordained it. We do not live to ourselves, but to God first, to our siblings in the Lord second, and to ourselves last. Notice I did not say third. I said last. Everything should be above ourselves. Uh, We aren't even uh, to live and die by our own will is what verse uh, 8 is going to say, and that's pretty strong. Uh, And no, I don't think you can use this verse as an argument um, for people who commit suicide. Um, I know that's a touchy subject for some. I have had friends who have committed suicide. It's a very hard thing to deal with and go through. This is not the verse you appeal to, to say that it's a sin, though, or even if it is a sin, that God cannot still redeem those people in some way or show grace on them. That's not the point of this verse. In context, uh, Paul is continuing his argument, and you get the full realization of the argument in verse 9, and it's tying this into what Christ has done. Because he lived, he conquered life, And because he died in that he conquered death, he is now Lord of both the living and the dead. So we have no claim on anything, our lives nor our death. Everything is our master's. Everything belongs to Jesus. Uh, Verses 10 through the end of our section, verses 10 through 12 here, are um, uh, he goes back into this diatribe form that he's used several times where he kind of gets in this fake argument with an imaginary person. So why are you passing judgment on your brother? Or, or why do you despise your brother? He's saying, how can you do those things if you both have the same master? If you're both supposed to be doing things according to conscience that's grounded in God's will, why would you be passing judgment? Why would you despise someone? Because, if, if my previous argument didn't make sense, it's because of this. We'll all stand in the judgment seat before God. Uh, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. Uh, and he quotes Isaiah 45:23 here, as he does in Philippians 2, but um, this is a bit different context in Philippians chapter 2, and I think what he's really trying to bring out here is the fact that we have to acknowledge the fact that God is our master. We have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is our Lord. We are all his servants, and as his servants, we have to give an account of the things that we do. And uh, for someone who loves Jesus, and for someone who is excited to see Jesus, giving an account will be the most Uh, terrifying thing we will ever do. Um, But we can actually look forward to that day 
according to 1 John chapter 4, we have no fear of judgment. We look forward to the day because of what Christ has done for us and in us. The day of judgment is not necessarily a day of judgment. It is rather a day where I am reunited with my God in the courts of heaven. And that's something we can all look, uh, look forward to and be excited about. Because uh, as Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hope this has been a good study. Hope you've gotten something from it. I pray that you are looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in a genuine and sincere way. Peace and love.